Welcome to Explore Yellowstone Like a Local, the number one podcast for Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and home to the top-rated guidebook of the same name. And I'm your author as well as your host for this podcast, Teddy Garland. And I'm not going to go into my normal spiel about just how big Yellowstone Park is and all that yada yada that I do for the roads inside the park because this is a new podcast. I've never done this one in the last five years we've been doing all this. I'm going to cover the roads that are on the outskirts of Yellowstone Park that that actually go into Yellowstone Park that very few people know about. There's some really cool things on these roads and you can go enjoy Yellowstone Park without having to get up early to beat the crowds. And all of these roads are actually shown on the Yellowstone Park map they hand you when you go through the gate. I'll get you to some really neat areas that you know 99% of the people that visit Yellowstone Park really don't even know exist. We're going to cover the road from West Yellowstone up to Big Sky, which actually goes in and slides right along the western northern boundary of Yellowstone Park. And there's some great things to see up there, some really nice hikes, a beautiful drive. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful drives in the United States. And then we're going to cover the even more seldom seen road down along the southern end. That kind of there's a road that goes from Flag Ranch west over towards Ashton, Idaho, which sits Ashton's just outside the southwest corner of Yellowstone Park. And it's called the Marysville slash Flag Ranch slash Grassy Lake Road. It's kind of called all of those names. We'll get into that clarification here in a little bit. But that road is a beautiful drive, especially in the fall. And it's just very rarely seen. Hardly anybody that's not a local knows about that road. I'd say less than one-tenth of one percent of the the people that visit Yellowstone Park even know that road exists. And it's a beautiful drive. And you'll never see a motorhome on it or a fifth wheel or anything like that because it gets kind of rough and narrow in spots, but it's easily done in a car. And I'll tell you the dates you can kind of do it because it's not snow plowed. They don't plow it or anything else. So you kind of got to wait until a certain date to get on there. But I cover all this in the guidebook, all the the great hikes that you can access off both of these roads. And we're going to kind of get into what you can see along here. And again, I'm going to tell you some stories. But like I said, all of this information about these roads and what you're going to catch off these roads is in the guidebook. Plus, I even provide maps of these roads in the guidebook. But I thought I would do a podcast of this just to kind of give you guys an, an idea of what you guys can see along these sections of road who might be listening. And I'm going to, of course, tell you guys some stories stories about me traveling up and down these roads. Like on that Grassy Lake Road, the Grassy Lake Flag Ranch Road is where the uh, a lot of the fires started in uh, 88 back then. And a couple of them were started by a disgruntled park employee. And we were simply trying to go pick somebody up at the Jackson Hole Airport one day and couldn't get over Teton Pass. Everything was closed in the park. We had to go over and get somebody. So, well, let's go try the Flag Ranch Road. And sure enough, it was still open somehow, some way. I guess everybody kind of forgot about it. And so we zoomed through there, right through this raging forest fire, 80-foot-tall lodgepole pine trees going up in a matter of three or four seconds like a Roman candle. It was unreal. So we're going to get into some crazy stories like that along here, but I wanted to add this podcast to the all the other podcasts of the great things to see and do inside Yellowstone Park because these are inside Yellowstone Park. And uh, I've never done it before, so we're going to kind of do it here. So, all right, so let's get started with all the fun stuff to do 
on the roads and the parks, but don't you don't ever enter a park gate. So, all right, let's get rolling. Here we go. All right, for those of you that just might happen to be picking up on this podcast as the very first first podcast you've ever listened to, uh, my guidebook has been called the uh, best guidebook ever written for Yellowstone Park, and uh, I must have for any trip to Yellowstone, and you're going to find stuff in that guidebook and in this podcast that people just don't cover in other guidebooks, and there's some really cool stuff to see along these sections of roads, so... To get your copy of the guidebook, just go to our website and you can get an electronic version downloaded for only $11.99 or you can get a paperback copy for $24.99 and I write a personal note to everyone who buys one and throw in a cool Yellowstone sticker for you guys as well. And there's a combo deal on there. You can save some money and there's also some t-shirts on there. But I promise you it's going to be the best money you spend on your Yellowstone vacation because there are two things in the world I simply hate to waste, and that is time and money. So the guidebook not only tells you how to beat the crowds to all the main stops in the park so you don't waste any time in the parks, in the planning your Yellowstone vacation chapter, I tell you which airports you should use. You can save a ton of money on flights. And then the lodging tips. We've got great lodging tips in there to save thousands of dollars on your stay while you're up there. And we even talk about, you know, how to feed your clam while you're up there. I've gotten, you know, I'm no different than you guys. When I go up there, I want to save money. I don't want to waste money, especially as long as I'm staying up there. I spend about three to four months a year up there, and I have figured out how to beat the the pulling out your wallet to feed your family and your kids three meals a day, and I, I pass all of those tips on to you guys. The electronic book will download instantly to your phone or device, and if you happen to be listening to these podcasts from outside the U.S. and you want a paperback copy when you arrive, or if you're already there, just call the book peddler in West Yellowstone and they'll have a copy waiting for you to pick up. And when you get your guidebook, you're going to find a QR code in the back which will give you access to our private YouTube page, and we have shot videos along this road, so you can actually see what I'm talking about on a video well, in this podcast, and so that's why I kind of wanted to do this. I wanted to make these podcasts more inclusive because I've never done this, these podcasts before in the past, the past five years. So, but you'll be able to see this, these drives we're talking about on that that QR code. But it's a private YouTube page. You have to have that QR code to access it, and it's in the back of the guidebook. So, and then we also have an itinerary section and. Uh, all kinds of stuff in the guidebook that makes the guidebook an indispensable tool. You guys, we've just got rave reviews. You can go to our website. I'll put full-length reviews on there, pictures you guys have sent us, and and uh, all that for you guys to see when you guys purchase the guidebook. So, all right, so with all that put behind us, let's get rolling with... We're going to be base out of West Yellowstone. You know, West Yellowstone should be your home base. Anybody that's heard, heard listen to me in the past, we're going to start out of West Yellowstone on these kind of driving tours. I'm going to tell you what you're going to see, and there's some cool stuff. We're going to talk about the earthquakes that, that hit the area. The largest natural disaster to ever hit the United States occurred right outside of West Yellowstone right there, right outside of Yellowstone Park. It was crazy. So we're going to get into some cool stuff. I don't know why I've never done this in the past, but we're doing it now. So, all right, let's get rolling. All right, so the first road we're gonna cover is the road from West Yellowstone to Big Sky, and this is on Highway 191. 
And 191 basically circumnavigates the entire United States. I used to pick up on it from when I was leaving to drive up there to break up the monotony on do it on a different road from Amarillo all the way to my cabin right there north of West Yellowstone. But it starts, you, it starts down there in Jackson Hole. The road coming out of Jackson Hole heading north is 191. It comes right up in front of the Tetons, goes right past Jackson Lake Lodge, hits the south entry gate, goes right up to West Thumb, cuts right by Old Faithful, hits Madison Junction, goes Madison Junction to West Yellowstone, and then cuts back north like you're going to Big Sky. And so, yeah, we, you, you, when you're in Yellowstone Park, you're driving on 191. So we're going to pick up the section of 191 just outside the park, except you're going to go into the park, but there's no gates and, and a suggested 55 mile an hour speed limit. Everybody goes a lot faster than that, it seems like, on here. And there's hardly ever any traffic. So, And I'm telling you guys, this is one of the most beautiful drives you're ever going to drive in your life. It's just a gorgeous drive from start to finish, all the way to basically Bozeman. And so you're going to drive through the Gallatin Gateway, which is where they filmed a lot of the movie. Uh, River runs through it with Brad Pitt. Anybody that saw that, you're going to drive right past a lot of those scenes in the movie as you go down the Gallatin Gateway right there from Big Sky North a little bit. Yeah, this is a beautiful drive. Bear, there's a lot of places to see some big bears. There's a big cinnamon grizzly bear that hangs out along this section of road. And so it, it's a great drive in its own right, besides being able to get into Yellowstone Park and do a lot of cool, cool stuff. So let's get into all that cool stuff. So right when you leave West Yellowstone, it's going to be a dead straight shot. You're going to right past the uh, airport right there on your left. And it looks like Christmas Tree Alley. Remember, Christmas Tree Alley is the section of road from the west entry gate going east on 191 back into Yellowstone Park where they used to cut all the Christmas trees down. So you're going to go dead straight right through there. Tall lodgepole pines on both sides. And then the road will drop down. She kind of drops down this bench into what is called Baker's Hole. And Baker's Hole is where I live in the summer. I live over there on the right, backing up to the Madison River. And uh, right when you get in the middle of what is called Baker's Hole, you'll drive, you'll go past the Baker's Hole campground, and then uh, you'll see a dirt road, which actually leads to my house on your right. And then, boom, you're going to cross over the Madison River. And there are a lot of people stop here. The Madison River right here in this one spot is simply gorgeous. It's beautiful. You can actually park your car right here and walk on the southern side. Don't want to do on the north side, but the southern side, there's a walking trail that goes along the Madison River, swings up and around, and comes actually right behind my cabin. And so, you know, I'm on National Forest Land, so people can walk behind my cabin back there. Goes right through Baker's Hole Campground, into the park a few times, out of the park, into the park, out of the park. Follows the 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 Madison River, as it comes in and out of Yellowstone Park, three feet from the edge of the of the river, beautiful walk. We, we walk it all the time. We walk it three or four nights a week after dinner just to go out and take a nice long walk. And uh, But you could start right there at that bridge, and you can make it about four or five miles before it finally ends up there in some big beaver ponds. But this trail, you'll actually go right behind my house. A lot of people walk back there. It's a kind of a fishing trail back there. And I'm on National Forest Land, so it's a, it's legal to walk right behind my house. Nobody ever comes up around my house. But uh, anyway, I'll tell you an interesting story about my house. Didn't take long to get to that first story, did it? You know, my house was built by this guy named Walter Zick 
who was an architect and engineer in Las Vegas. And his one and only client back in the day, and when Las Vegas was just getting kicked off, was none other than Bubsy Siegel, you know, the, the mob guy. It's a really crazy deal. But, uh, you know, I end up getting my cabin. It, it was a kind of a bizarre story of getting my cabin there. Um, this The previous owners, there was Walter Zick and then... Scott and June Cluel, who are friends of mine in West Yellowstone, they lived out there for a few years, and they didn't have a phone or anything, and they, they had it set up where they could only get in out of one door. And anyway, um, they, she got trapped by a moose. And Scott was at a convention, a book convention in San Francisco, had driven from West Yellowstone all the way to San Francisco, so he was long gone. But anyway, this moose comes up and has a baby right next to the back deck, right next to her car. And she couldn't get out of that house for about 10 days while Scott was gone at this book convention up in San Francisco. She ran out of food about halfway through. You know, this is before cell phones and all that stuff, and they did not have a phone in the house, and she could not get to her car, and there was no other way out of that house at that point. In time, so she's in there just almost starving to death, and he finally gets home and honks the horn and shoes the moose off. She tried to get to her car number of times and couldn't get there. That moose was protecting that baby before that baby could get up and walk or whatever and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, she he finally shoes that moose off, and you know comes in and goes, "You all right?" And she's in there just starving to death. She goes, "Guess what?" And he goes, "What?" And he goes, "We're moving." And so I ended up that house came on the market. And uh, the guy, my realtor in town, Rob Clapp, knew that's kind of what I was looking for, something like that. He sent me Polaroid pictures. I bought my cabin from a set of Polaroid pictures he sent me in the mail. I didn't even get to see it until the next spring because it was winter and you know, getting snowed out and everything else couldn't get to it. So I didn't get to see the thing until next spring. It was a really interesting story. But Walter Zick, who was the who built the thing. Bugsy Siegel, all that kind of interesting stuff. He was, uh, you know, they would get drunk out in Las Vegas, and they would fly in. He was a pilot, and they would fly in from from um, Vegas, and they would he would take everybody into Yellowstone Park and all this stuff. Well, they'd get drunk, and they were flying this plane in there. Well, he slides that plane into the end of the runway one night, coming in drunk from Vegas with a bunch of people in his private plane. And knocks the wheels off the bottom of the plane because he hits the end of the runway over there at the airport right up the road. Bends the props all up, everything. You know, a few people got a little bit injured. Nobody got killed or, you know, really, really injured. But... He goes, hey, let's get the ambulance brought out. Let's take everybody to the hospital just to make sure. And uh, But the guy goes, hey, well, you know, we don't have an ambulance in West Yellowstone. And so he goes, well, I'm going to fix that. So he ships two ambulances to West Yellowstone, and not just any ambulances, they are Cadillacs, brand new Cadillac ambulances. You know, they look like a, you know, a hearse, except it's, you know, it's got a back end on a Cadillac. Two matching Cadillac ambulances were the first ambulances ever shipped to West Yellowstone, the first ambulances they've ever had. You know, this is back in the 50s and 60s when that cabin was built. And uh, it, it was just a really, he was a really cool guy. And there was these weird circles inside my cabin with all these weird names written on them, like Margaret and Betsy, all these old-fashioned names. And, you know, when they were there in 1959 and all this stuff, it's really interesting. He was a real interesting cat. We ha I had to move my cabin back. The Madison River had eaten a lot of riverbank away and gotten too close to my cabin in the Forest Service because, hey, you know, we can find you another spot to move your cabin. I said, I don't want another spot. Just, you know, we'll reset your lot and move you back a little bit. So I, you know, had to do all that and 
But when I did all that, I had to find some stuff out about the old septic systems that got put in and all this stuff. So I just called, you know, called Zick Engineering out in Las Vegas, and and sure enough, you know, somebody answered the phone out there, and I said, "Hey, this is going to sound really odd. I'm Teddy Garland. I own this house in Montana, and all this. Is there anybody there that can help me with some information about?" The cabin in, in West Yellowstone, right us by Yellowstone Park. And this lady goes, um, sure, in fact, Walter's daughter just walked in. And uh, she goes, I'll put her on the phone with you. So I start talking to Kathy. I think her name was Kathy, and she's married now. So, But it was Kathy Zick and all this stuff. And I said, hey, this is going to sound completely out of left field. And she goes, you know, I started talking about the cabin. All that. She goes, you own mom and daddy's little cabin, the A-frame? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, my God, I have the best times of my life were spent up there. Best times of my life with my mother and dad were spent in that cabin. And we talked on the phone for almost two hours. And, I mean, she was crying at times and about, about live, reliving memories with her and her dad there and all this kind of stuff. And I said, uh, I told her, because Scott Cluel told me, that the ghost of Walter Zick inhabits that cabin. And I I don't believe in ghosts or any of that kind of stuff and all that stuff, but he's there. I hear the strangest stuff and stuff's moved around and it's it's really cool. It's really interesting. And uh, I, yeah, he's there. I, I, you know, I don't believe any of that stuff, but I believe things happen and it's bizarre the ghost ghost of walter zick is inhabits that cabins at times so she sent me a bunch of pictures of her dad and you know it's another interesting story there's a couple cabins next door to me there they used to hang a big slab of bacon by this one big hook on this cabin door they're right there by the river and uh, you know two cabins down from me there's a couple other cabins right there next to me this giant grizzly bear would get up on its back legs. They'd do this about once a week. Rear up on its back legs and eat this giant slab of bacon. She sent me a picture of that bear. That thing's got to be 12 feet tall. I mean, he's got his hands on the roof of this cabin eating that bacon. You guys got to remember, it was legal to feed bears back then. So, you know, so they were, you know, they had a, basically a giant pet grizzly bear they fed right off the back of that cabin. About once a week, they'd come over there and, you know, there's pictures taken. This picture is taken from the outside, not inside the cabin. They're outside the cabin about 15 feet from this humongous grizzly bear standing on its back legs with his hands on the top of the center of this cabin eating this giant slab of bacon. Yeah. It was nuts. It was crazy, but they, uh, that's really, really interesting story about Walter Zick and yeah, and the ghost of Walter Zick and all that stuff. And yeah, he's a really interesting guy, you know. And the, and he, the architect and engineer for Bugsy Siegel designed the Flamingo Hotel and uh, the Plaza downtown and all this stuff for Bugsy Siegel and was tied in with the mob and all that stuff. Bugsy Siegel actually came out and stayed at my cabin, and yeah, it was nuts. It was really interesting stuff. So, but anyway, not to belabor the point. But if you guys get a chance to and want to do a quick walk that's right outside of Yellowstone Park. You can come down there, and uh, you can kind of Google that walk. will show up on some trail maps, but it just goes around the campground out there, that Baker's Hole campground, and beautiful area. A lot of fishermen use it, and, and uh, you know, it's a nice little walk. It's a gorgeous little walk right outside of town, and, uh, you know, we do it all the time. So if you guys, you know, swing by my house, my, you can see the big A-frame right there, and, you know, if I'm sitting on the back porch, come on up. We'll have a beer. 
I can't hardly go into the park anymore without seeing somebody that recognizes me from the guidebook or something like that. And we all have a great time. We do a little hiking and mess around, take pictures and all that stuff, see people in town and all that stuff. And I've had people that walk behind the cabin back there and came up and knocked on the back door. And you guys are welcome to do that. You just, you know, if you see me out there, come on up. We'll have a, we'll have a couple drinks and, and uh, shoot the bull about Yellowstone Park. I'm, I'm all for it all the time. So... All right, so let's keep moving on down the road a little bit. Let's get on down 191 like we're heading up towards Big Sky and then on to Bozeman. This is a beautiful drive that hardly anybody knows about that goes to Yellowstone Park, but I'm going to tell you guys all about it. All right, but anyway, kind of continuing on down the road, and uh, you're going to kind of go another five or six miles. You'll pass Cougar Creek, and then... You know, you'll see the turnoff for 287 on your left, and we're going to cover 287 here in a minute. We're covering from West Yellowstone up to Big Sky, and then, you know, kind of a little further than that, on into Bozeman a little bit. So you're going to jump back on and go past 287, cross the top of the hill, and on the right, you're going to see Fur Ridge Cemetery on your right right there. And this just so happens to be where my final resting place is going to be. I hate all that dead and you're, everybody's all sad and all this kind of shit. You know, I just, I'm just out on that. I'm just out on that. I'm telling you, on my headstone, and I'm, I've never told anybody this on a podcast or it's not in the guidebook or anything else, but I'm going to say it right here. Uh, I'm not going to use uh, the F word, but uh, it's going to say Teddy Garland, my dates and all this. And it said, had a effing blast. That's what it's going to say on my headstone. Had an effing blast, and just like that, in, in top-notch French. So uh, anyway, but that Fur Ridge Cemetery is beautiful. It's got some gorgeous aspen trees in the fall and all these ferns on the ground. It looks right over Yellowstone Park. It's badass. It's top-notch. So you're going to crest the hill and drop down to the bottom of the hill, and you're going to pass Grayling Creek. And Grayling Creek is aptly named for the Grayling Fish. And there's only two streams in the state of Montana where you can catch a Grayling. And the Grayling is this crazy, prehistoric-looking fish. They're not very big. It's got this huge fin on its back. You can Google up a picture of it. The other one is on a the road going to Elk Lake Camp, which is one of my favorite places to eat in the guidebook. And uh, I and my nephew have both pulled a grayling out of that stream. I've never fished Grayling Creek over there, but hence the name grayling is catch this wild looking prehistoric fish. They're extremely rare. But anyway, the Grayling Creek's pretty. The road kind of follows Grayling Creek up there. And then before you know it, about a minute past the Grayling Creek Bridge right there, you get you go into Yellowstone Park. You don't stop or anything else or slow down or anything else. You just fly by a big wooden sign on the right that says entering Yellowstone Park. Go up there and the speed limit drops to 55. I think it's 65 or 70 before that. Drops to 55, but most people run it about 65 or 70 through there. But you can't get a ticket if you go too fast through there. You kind of run along through there. It's really pretty. The aspens in the fall or the aspens are hard to find in Yellowstone Park, but they're real easy. Bunch of them over here on this western boundary for some reason. The main part of the park, you can't, you know, you can find an aspen tree to save your life, but in this this drive, like you're heading up to Big Sky and Bozeman, it's, it's just loaded with aspen trees. It's a beautiful drive. 
drive in the fall months. It's just gorgeous. And so you'll kind of top the hill over there. There's two passes. You'll go over one little pass and it drops back down. You cross Grayling Creek again. And there's another more gentle one. It's the second hill is what everybody calls it. And they call it uh, Divide Lake. You're not crossing over the Continental Divide or anything, but there's a little kind of shallow lake on your right called Divide Lake. And that'll kind of tell you where you are in this podcast. And, and remember, when you're looking at a map of Yellowstone Park in the back of the guidebook, this road is on it. This, this entire road we're driving is on the Yellowstone Park map that's in the back of the guidebook and the one they hand out at the gate to you. But nobody ever drives it because everybody wants to be in Yellowstone Park where all the action is Old Faithful and all that yada yada. But you're driving you know, on a road that's shown on the Yellowstone Park map. And you're going to kind of go bebopping down through there. And so about got a half a mile past the, uh, the the Divide Lake on your right right there, you'll see your first trailhead. And this trailhead is really, really a nice, easy hike. You can take this all the way to Mammoth, you guys. That kind of tells you how big and big and mean the trails are through here. But this first trailhead is called Big Horn Pass. And remember, Everything we're going over right now is in the guidebook, and I'm going to just kind of gloss over these things, but I've got a the map that you need to see all this stuff on and mark on a map in the guidebook. Gloss over things that are in the guidebook, but Bighorn Pass is great. You can go up there and have a picnic lunch. It's the headwaters of the Gallatin River. You can go up there in about 10-minute walk and just be right there in this grassy meadow and have a picnic lunch, and you're not a single person in sight, and you're in Yellowstone Park. This road opens up some great hikes to you guys, and you never have to fight the crowds in Yellowstone Park to do them. You know, and they're all covered in the guidebook. I said just on the edge of Yellowstone Park hikes. It's all in the hiking chapter in the guidebook. But that Bighorn Pass is great. The next one on down is Fawn Pass. And in the guidebook, I tell you not to take this one because it is really thickly used by horses. And horses, to me, just tear the crap out of the trail. And they crap everywhere. And there's horse flies everywhere. I I hate hiking on trails with horses. You know, and the the other one doesn't have any people or horses on it. So I never use the Fawn Pass Trail. But right past the Fawn Pass Trail is the Bacon Brine Trail. And in the guidebook, I tell you about what you can go find up on the Bacon Rhine Trail. After it rains, you're going to go find some really cool stuff up there on the Bacon Rhine Trail. And I tell you what you need to use, what you need to where you need to park, where you need to walk, and all that stuff. And uh, you can actually kind of get rich doing it. So I'm going to throw that little teaser out there on you. So. About a mile down the road, and here comes your second story. Didn't take long for that second one to pop up either. Okay, God, this is all the way back in 1971, two, right through then, a long time ago. What my dad liked to do was we would go play golf up at Big Sky. The Big Sky golf course had just just opened up up there. So we would go up there and play golf, and then we would fish the Gallatin River in the afternoon. So we'd leave pretty early. We'd leave Henry's Lake over there in Idaho. We're going to cover Henry's Lake further along in this podcast and uh, drive over there. And we'd try to tee off by 8 so we could play golf from 8 till noon, have lunch, fish from 1 until 4, 3 or 4, catch a bunch of trout, 
be home by 5.30 or 6 to cook them. So that was kind of our, our route. We would, or what we would do when we went to Big Sky. We weren't going up there to just play golf. My dad was, you know, the kill two birds with one stone and have as much fun as humanly possible kind of guy. I guess that's where I got that. As a, and so, you know, we were going to go play golf in the morning and catch a bunch of trout in the afternoon. And, you know, and so that's what we would do. So anyway, you'll cross this bridge. The Gallatin River will come in on your right and get a lot on your left. And it's a small bridge. It's nothing, not very big or anything else. So we come around the corner. You know, it's 7 o'clock. The sun's just kind of coming up and everything else. We're flying down through there. And it's just me and my dad. And, uh, yeah, I'm just a little kid. And we come around the corner, and there's this wreck on the bridge, on the far side of the bridge. And there's this Volkswagen, this Volkswagen Beetle. You know, they didn't have anything else besides Volkswagen Beetles back then. This moose, these people in this Volkswagen had gone over that bridge doing 70 miles an hour, how fast a little Volkswagen Beetle would go back in those days, and a moose had come off the river right there, and they met right at, just hit that moose dead on. And basically, got to remember, the moose is pretty high. So it the car hits the legs of that moose, and that moose, that 1,000 or 1,500-pound moose, comes right through the front windshield. And, and just and basically decapitated the two people. And I, I remember, as I'm telling you guys this story, I remember that scene like it was yesterday, and it was 53 years ago, 50, roughly 52, 53 years ago. I remember it like it. I'm looking at it right now in my head. There was blood everywhere. And the, the people had been knocked back in their seats. Their, their, one of them hit with their head was completely off. Dad gets out and tells me to stay in the car, but you know I'm a boy. I get out and I kind of run down there, and he's he's in there looking, and and he's a big war veteran. He you know he had 38 confirmed kills in the World War II, and you know had about 500 men under his command and all this stuff. So he he was had seen blood before. It didn't didn't you know affect him like it would other people. He looks at me. I got about 10 feet from that car, and there's blood everywhere. That moose is just our carcasses everywhere. He goes, go back and get in the car right now, and the next car that comes up behind us, you stop that car and you tell them to drive to Big Sky and get a Ranger. And I said, okay, Dad, okay. The people that were coming the other direction and crossing over the bridge were stopping and pulling over past the bridge and getting off the highway and getting out of their cars and throwing up and, and sitting on the ground in shock. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was absolutely unbelievable. And then finally, you know, one car takes off and puts his flashers on and just floors it. I mean, there's so much blood on the bridge that it's flying up on people's cars on their fenders. And it's it's just like like it was rain. There's blood all over the sides of everybody's cars. I'll never forget it. It, it was just unbelievable. And so, yeah, every time to this day, because we go to Big Sky every week. We go up there to play golf on Tuesdays, and we go to, you know, we go whitewater rafting, you know, during the week. So I'm driving that road two or three days a week that you guys are driving right now to go do stuff, go Big Sky, we go hiking. I used to, the kids used to love to go to Specimen Creek that we're going to talk about right now. But yeah, I mean, literally, there was so much blood everywhere from that moose. There was cars stacked up you know, five, five or six cars on the right going the other other direction. Nobody could keep driving their car. 
they were in such shock of all the blood, and this lady gets out and looks at the side of her car, and it's just covered in blood. And I mean, they're just they're people over there losing their minds. There are people just sitting in the grass with their head in their hands, crying. It, it was something else. It was unreal. I'll never forget it. I will never, ever, ever forget it. Ranger shows up, takes charge of the situation, takes Dad's you know name and everything else, and you know then of course we have to drive right by it. You know, there's no tow truck that, you know, or anything else. You got to bring a tow truck from West Yellowstone. Oh, my God. I mean, there was just a path of blood going in both directions. Like like it was mud. It was kept, it was blood. And, uh, yeah, unreal. So, all right, that's your second story in this podcast. So, boy, howdy. And I think I kind of gloss over that one in the guidebook a little bit. I don't get as that much detail, of obviously, as in the guidebook. So, Yeah. All right, so on down the road, about a mile, and the Gallatin's now over to your left, and it's a beautiful area. There's This place is just inundated with fishermen. Starting in the summer and the late fall, this is a great place to trout fish all down through here. And uh, you'll come to Specimen Creek on your right, and Specimen Creek is a wonderful hiking area. Doesn't get used by a lot of horses, but every now and then you'll see a horse trailer in there. But it is used by a lot of people because you can start swinging in on Specimen Creek, and there's a lot of trailheads that interconnect with each other back in this area. And it's one of the most beautiful areas in Yellowstone Park. And remember, it's high mountains and stuff back here. You're out of the caldera, so it's some big-time hiking. In fact, you go on down the road a little bit, and you'll see Black Butte and then Daly Creek. And all of these, the Specimen Creek Trail, the Black Butte Trail, Daly Creek Trail, are all within about a couple of miles of each other. And they all are interconnected by what is called the Skyrim Trail. And the Skyrim Trail is... The largest single dose of high mountain scenery and hiking found anywhere in Yellowstone Park. Not Grand Tetons, you're down there in Tetons, which is badass. But in Yellowstone Park, it get, the Skyrim Trail follows this ridge for almost eight or nine miles. And it's just, uh, you're right on top of the ridge of this peak. You're just walking this ridge. It's called the Skyrim Trail. Like you're walking in the sky. It's unreal. And uh, it is a very difficult, very tough hike. A lot of scree fields, but it is one of the it is one of the top hikes in all of Yellowstone Park. It's it's wonderful, beautiful hike. Very tough, very difficult. A lot of people overnight they in the area and they tie it in with Specimen Creek and the Daily Creek Trail, you know, and get a backcountry campsite back there so they can make it in two days easier because it is a big 18-mile loop hike to do in one day. It's, you have to be in great shape to pull that off in one day. So. Here comes your next story. This is a really interesting story. It's kind of about, you know, how you meet different people that come to Yellowstone Park from all over the world. So you never know who you're going to meet in Yellowstone Park. And this is a story kind of like that. All right. I was doing that the Skyrim Trail one time and I got turned back by a big monster grizzly bear up there. And so, you know, I got up and I was, you know, could see the footprints in the mud and God, they were as big as a basketball. And I knew that it had just rained that, that night before. And so I knew that bear was out in front of me. Those tracks were not old. They were new. They were fresh in the mud. It had just quit raining a few hours before I hit the trailhead at 5 a.m. And so I had dropped off a bike and I was going to do the loop trail, come back out of the Black Butte Trail, jump on my bicycle and ride the, the mile down to the Daly Creek Trail and jump in my car. That way I didn't have to walk that last mile across the road or hitchhike or something because everybody's going too fast to get up hitchhiking. So anyway, I 
do this lower loop trail to kind of avoid that bear. And, you know, I ended up seeing that bear back in the trees about a hundred yards away and I wanted no part of that bear. And so I swing back down and I come back the loop trail and I was all disappointed. I couldn't hit, get up to the Skyrim trail because of that big bear. And so I get down there and there's a car down there and there's some guys out there messing around having lunch. And I, you know, walk over there and I got a bike down in the tree, hidden down in the trees. And, you know, I pick up this great crappy bike I had stashed down there in the trees in case somebody stole it. You know, barely get the thing in gear to ride it down the highway. And this guy, you know, waves and, you know, he waves me over. So I go over there and I'm, you know, hey, how are you guys doing? Well, they were from France. They were from, from Paris. And so I... You know, a couple of them spoke English and a couple of them didn't speak any English. The guy goes, is this a good place to fish? And I said, yeah, it's one. The best place to go fishing right at that point in time was in September was actually right behind my house because the browns, we, we discussed the, the trout running in the spring and then the browns kind of running in the fall, the rainbow trout in the spring. Uh, they would run behind my house. They come up out of Lake Heaven and weave around, around that trail going right by the Madison River back up into Yellowstone Park to spawn the big browns. And that's right when they were running. It was about the third or fourth week in September and I was kind of explaining to that guy as slowly as I could where to go and so I you know you got a piece of paper and I drew out this crazy map on there try to show them where West Yellowstone was and everything else and and I said I'll tell you what you guys if you guys want you know and we're just there's just very little communication going on. You know, it's like trying to order off a French menu, you know, like I can read French, you know, and I was telling these guys and I felt like the same, you know, just a reverse deal. And so I tell these guys, I said, listen, if you guys want, come by my house about 5.30 or 6 o'clock and uh, I'll show you what to do. I'll show you what to fish with and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of drew this crazy map on a napkin or something like that where my house was or anything else. You know, I got on that bike and rode down there, got my car, and I, you know, honked at him when I went by. I figured I'd never lay eyes on those guys again. So I get back to my cabin. I take a nap or something like that. I get up and, you know, get out of the shower. And I'm sitting there getting out of the shower butt naked. And, and I hear this car drive around the cabin. I go, holy crap, those French guys found me. And so I go out there and I'm just, I got a towel on. And here come all these, for these four French guys coming up the back deck. And I said, hey, man, you know, my hair is wet. Everything else. I said, hey, you know, come in here. I brought them in there. I'm just sitting there in a towel. And I give them all a couple of beers. And one guy wanted wine. I had no wine and all this kind of stuff. So I said, man, let me get dressed. And so I go in there, I get dressed. I come back out. And they're all looking at all the cool pictures I got. I got pictures from 1919 of my dad and, and his dad and his brother in front of the Old Faithful and all these really cool old pictures by Harrison Crandall, the first painter of Grand Teton National Park. And they're looking at all the stuff and all this crap and start talking to them. And, you know, we end up, you know, I make a scotch and one guy wants a scotch, one guy wants a beer, one guy wants a bourbon. No one else going, yeah, I'm having drinks, sitting on the back porch. Well, anyway, this one guy is inside this little fat chubby guy. And so he's inside there and he just, you know, he's over there jacking with my golf clubs. I got my golf clubs stacked in the corner over there, kind of out of the way, because we go golfing every week. You know, at least once or twice a week, we go golfing somewhere. Big Sky or down in Rexburg or wherever. He's over there messing with my clubs and, they, and he doesn't speak a word of English, not a single word of English. And he's a little fat, chubby guy. And so he goes over and starts speaking French to one of the other guys. And the guy goes, hey, he would love to go golfing with you. He was a big, avid golfer. He goes, there's not many golf courts in France, but he was a big golfer. 
And I said, sure, yeah, that's okay. We're actually going tomorrow. We were going to Big Sky the next day. And there was only me and my buddy James and Aaron, I think, the three of us went. And so we'd be the fourth guy. And he goes, he tells him in French and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you just see the guy. The guy's just eyes light up. And I said, okay, all right. You, know, you need to have him here by 9 a.m. We're, you know, we're teeing off at about 1045. It takes an hour to get up there and get everything set up and all this kind of stuff. And, yo, yeah, yeah, he'll be here and all this kind of stuff. So there's a great ending of this story, by the way. You guys are going, he's just rambling along. Well, there's a great ending of this story. So we go play golf. And he's terrible. You know, He, I, I'm trying to tell him, give him some lessons. You know, I was actually a pretty good golfer at one point in time. I was supposed to play golf for Pepperdine out of high school. So I was giving him a couple lessons and kind of got him straightened out. Just a little short, fat guy. He's not an athlete at all. But we're out there, and Big Sky's a beautiful golf course. Me and him are taking pictures, and I'm taking pictures of him and on his phone and all this stuff. We're having a ball. He's just having a ball. No sniff getting a par, but he's just having an absolute ball. We stop and have dinner at the corral at the way back and have a drink and he's buying everything and all this crap and everything else we get back and there the guys are at the cab they're already at the cabin and i said you guys get here before we do just go on in you know so they go in there and they're all in there messing around having fun he goes in there and uh thank you so much and he's he's telling the guy in french to tell me thank you and he's shaking my hand and all this kind of stuff and he goes by the way he owns l'oreal the makeup company that's based out of france 33 billion in annual sales last year. The largest worldwide makeup company on planet Earth. They sell more women's makeup and beauty products than any other company in the world. The guy is a multi-billionaire. <laughs> Who knew? And he goes, yeah, he's got a villa in Paris. He's got one in the south of France. And he goes, do you got Google Earth? And I said, sure. Yeah, I got on the computer and he gets on there and he types up something for this and kind of zooms down on this deal over there by Antibes, between Antibes and cans and, and niece and all that stuff and he goes yeah there's his villa right there on the on the uh, the coast right there and uh, I looked at this picture this place it had an Olympic size swimming pool I'm not talking about a pool it had an Olympic size pool you can see the stripes of the lanes in the damn thing that's how big this guy's pool was and how big this mansion was and he goes yeah that's one of his about six or seven houses he's got in Europe and he goes you can stay at any of them anytime you want. I just go, no shit. No kidding. And uh, he goes, yeah, anytime you want. You, you've got carte blanche from Paris all the way down to Cannes, Denise, and any every all points in between. Italy, anywhere you want to go. He goes, you can stay at any one of his places anytime you want for as long as you want. And, and uh, he said he'll take you to his, his one of his private golf courses over there. The guy owns golf courses in Europe. I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding. And he goes, no, I'm not kidding you a bit. And he's over there jacking with my putter and everything else. I loved golf and he's terrible. But uh, yeah, so that was that fun. That was just started right there at that one spot down there where they were down there parked at Black Butte Turnout, this just circle drive of gravel. I ran into these guys from Paris. Yeah, who'd have thought it? The guy owned L'Oreal the largest distributor of women's makeup on planet Earth. I mean, I looked it up, almost $34 billion in sales this last year. And I just had my bike stashed over there in the trees. They're over there eating lunch on the hood of their car. 
<laughs> Wondering if the fishing's good. You'll never know who you're going to run into in Yellowstone Park. I've never called a guy. My ex-wife's got his phone number and name and phone number and all this stuff. I just never have. I probably ought to call the guy. I guess I should. Jeez, who knows if he's still alive, but who knows. But anyway, so on down the road from the, you'll kind of, at, at the end of that Black Butte, Daly Creek, Skyrim Trail and all that kind of stuff, then you kind of just exit the park. You're going to drive by another big wooden sign that says leaving Yellowstone Park and people are parked over there on the other side taking pictures in front of entering Yellowstone Park is a big sign that says entering Yellowstone Park. So you're going to blow out through out of Yellowstone Park right there. I mean, you're going to keep going on down and uh, there's a couple really big ranches right there and I can't remember the name of the first one on the left, but there used to be a Visa credit card commercial for that ranch. It said, blah, 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 ranch does not take American Express, but it does take Visa and all that kind of stuff. And they shot one of those commercials by you know, anybody that's older in your group and you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else thinks I'm crazy. And then on down the road, you'll, you'll, the road, you'll find the 320 Ranch on your right. Beautiful spread. It's like the Ponderosa. It's huge. It's really cool. And again, it's a dude ranch kind of deal. And you can go in there and have dinner and all that stuff. But they got a deal in the guidebook I'll tell you about called a trifecta. And I'm not going to get into here. This, this thing's long. You know, long enough anyway. But that trifecta is really cool. A lot of you guys have gone and done it. Read about that in the, in the guidebook and you'll love it. Everybody loves doing that. On down the road, about five more miles. And the, and the, the further you go, the more into the Gallatin Canyon you get. And that where they started filming the movie, A River Runs Through with Brad Pitt and all that. This drive just gets prettier and prettier and prettier. And the canyon walls get taller and taller and taller. And the river meanders on your right and then the left and all this stuff. It is just a beautiful, beautiful drive. And then it'll kind of open up and you'll see the corral driving on your left. There's a picture in front of me and my good friend, deceased friend Doug in front of the corral. And, and uh, he used to drive down to go to the corral. The corral is great food. And, you know, I tell you in the guidebook, you can have a table with a big moose or bison head or a bear head right over your table and you're kind of looking underneath it to talk to somebody and you know right across the streets the rainbow ranch lodge the only supposedly five-star restaurant in the entire state of montana and uh, you know it's so nice i'd never go there and so yeah so i'd rather go get drunk at the crowd with a bunch of locals and then on down the roads the river house killer barbecue you know i tell you all about in the guidebook and all this kind of stuff and then before you know it you're at the big sky tour off you can you'll see the big sky mountain lone mountain up there to the left and the biggest ski area in the United States, it's huge. It just dwarfs Vale and Snowmass and, and uh, all those places. It's the largest ski area in, in the United States. It's unbelievable. The largest ski area in North America. Trust me, I've skied it. I've skied everywhere there is in the United States. I mean, I I love skiing. My mother was born in Crested Butte. I was a skier before I could ride a bicycle. I started to learn how to ski when I was four. Yeah, we skied everywhere, and that Big Sky Ski Area is by far the best ski area I've ever skied in my life. They've got the world's most advanced ski lifts on, on planet Earth. These huge, wide deals get like 10 or 12 people in them, close this thing down, they're heated, and they just fly up the mountain, most advanced ski lifts on planet Earth. But there's all kinds of cool stuff to do up Big Sky, and I have an entire chapter in the guidebook devoted to everything there is to do in Big Sky. It's a great place to go play golf, girls get a spa day, kids can go up there and you know climb rock walls and go zip lining and ride mountain bikes and all this stuff. There is a ton of things to do up in the Big Sky area. So as you continue on down, continuing north on 191, continuing downstream, you know, this is where all the rafting gets started. You'll start seeing a bunch of rafting boats through here. 
You'll come up to Deer Creek Bridge on your left, and uh, this is a, where most of the rafting companies start. This is where I, I, I launch right here. And uh, you'll see this kind of grayish-green bridge, this metal bridge that goes over the Gallatin River on your left right there, and that's called the President's Bridge, and uh, kind of tell you all about it in the guidebook and all this kind of stuff. There's a picture of me jumping off that bridge, but on a warm summer day, you'll see Gosh, a dozen people or more over there, you know, lining up. They'll get up on that bridge and they'll all jump in the river together. It's ice cold. It's a ball. It's really fun on a warm day. We do it every time we go rafting so we're already wet. We jump off the President's Bridge and do that. Something you guys want to do that, you know, put a towel in there and there'll be kids doing it, adults doing it. You know, and I guess Bill Clinton did it. Uh, Bush, I think, did it. That's why they call it the President's Bridge. A bunch of senators have done it. You know, for some reason, you know, a bunch of politicians have jumped off the president's bridge right there and uh, you just keep going down you know like you're heading towards Bozeman and so you're going to kind of keep winding down through there and there's even the I'm still cover all of this in the guidebook you guys got to remember and you'll get down to this area about where house rock there's this giant house sized boulder right in the middle of the river down there and uh, it's right after this turn called the 35 mile an hour bridge and it's uh, you know you'll see a sign says 35 mile an hour bridge and it's right after that but you'll you'll go past the lava lake trail turnoff and the lava lake trail is a beautiful trail to a gorgeous glacial fed high mountain lake you know just north of the big sky area very very popular trail a lot of people take their dogs our little dog loves to go hiking dogs just love it people just have their dogs running around and front in front of them and all this and all the dogs are saying hi and then you know you keep going and they you know run up and catch up to you it's a fantastic trail and uh, i mean it's a nine out of a ten the payoff's killer it's beautiful it's not too hard and you take your dog with you, which is great. Can't take your dog anywhere in Yellowstone Park. All those other trails I listed back up that were in the Yellowstone Park, you can't take a dog on. You just can't do it. They'll you know get a big five hundred dollar ticket if you do. And so, but that's a beautiful area, and you'll see though. You can go down and watch the whitewater rafters come flying around House Rock and flipping, and people getting in the river and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, it, it's just a ball. It, it's an absolute ball. And. Um, and about from about House Rock right through there in that area where Lava Lake is and all that, you're about 20 minutes, 25 minutes to Bozeman, downtown Bozeman. And Bozeman is a wonderful town. It's a beautiful, big, spread out town. It's one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing city in the United States. And the downtown area, the, there's a main drag, downtown Mary, a main drag. That's where they film all of the scenes from the show. Netflix show, Yellowstone, with Kevin Costner and all that stuff and everything else. That's where they film all of those scenes from a bar or getting out and walking that downtown area. That downtown area is is classic. It's just like this old turn-of-the-century town right there. And that is this downtown area. You can pull in there, just find a parking spot, and take off walking in this old downtown. It's probably... It's eight blocks long, and then you kind of just cross the street and come back the other way and see what you can find the other way. Great shopping, great places to eat. I mean, you can go to Schnee's and get a pair of boots made, and it's it's a great deal. There's a lot of fun things to do in that little downtown drag area of Bozeman. We used to just go up there and spend a day and just go shopping and mess around and come back on the when it's warmer and we jump off the President's Bridge and all that kind of stuff and then drive back to the cabin. But uh, yeah, that that Bozeman's getting very very crowded because it's growing so fast. But yeah, that downtown area. If you're a fan of watching that show Yellowstone, then you will see all 
of the stuff that where they film that stuff out and they just kind of block traffic out in the street and shoot a quick scene and then they break down and go and people are just walking up and down through there. So, But that is about everything you can see from West Yellowstone on Highway 191. We basically went all the way from West Yellowstone into Yellowstone Park, back out of Yellowstone Park, you know, up through there by the Big Sky turnoff, all the fun stuff to do in Big Sky. There's an entire chapter in the guidebook for Big Sky and the President's Bridge and, the, you know, the Lava Lake Trails in the guidebook. There's a map of the Lava Lake Trail in the guidebook where you can take your dog. Because you can't take your dog in Yellowstone Park and go hiking around, but you can here. There's some beautiful hikes. That Skyrim Trail is the, is the biggest dose of high mountain scenery found anywhere in Yellowstone Park. It's unreal. And nobody that goes to Yellowstone Park, hardly anybody knows this road even exists. But you don't have to fight any crowds. There's no traffic. You don't have to get up early. You can do anything you want and come back anytime you want. And, the, and there's and in the evenings, as you're coming back to West Yellowstone, once you get back into the park right through there, there's always bears and moose hanging around. And, you know, hence the story earlier. There's moose that hang out in that little valley right there past that Specimen Creek area. And there's a big cinnamon grizzly bear. God, we saw that big cinnamon grizzly bear. We'd go play golf every Tuesday up at Big Sky. We saw that cinnamon grizzly bear for a month and a half. Six weeks straight. You know, it hardly, if for some reason, hardly anybody stops when they see a bear. I don't know why. You'll see a couple cars pulled over and, you know, there's this big bear out there walking over there about 80 yards away. monster cinnamon grizzly bear. You know, and, you know, everybody's driving by, you know, because they're doing 75 miles an hour. And I guess they get past it and don't see it and don't stop. But you see a bear. That bear was in Yellowstone Park over there by Old Faithful. There'd be a traffic jam and 15 miles in each direction. I mean, you'd have to wait an hour to get through it. And you just pull over and take a picture of this grizzly bear and wonder why nobody else is stopping. And then, But if there's always bears that come out in the evening and moose that come out in the evening up there. So, All right, so that's 191. Let's cover 287 next. And remember, all these roads are shown on the map they hand you when you go in Yellowstone Park. All right, so back in West Yellowstone, and we kind of hit 287. You go about seven miles north of West Yellowstone on 191, and then 287 jogs off to your left right there. And um, the first thing you're going to come to when you zoom down there on 287 is Lake Hebgen. And I'm telling you guys, Lake Hebgen is a beautiful, gorgeous high mountain lake surrounded by mountains all the way around it right there. It, it is an absolutely astoundingly beautiful lake. Just gorgeous. And the first thing you're going to kind of come to, you'll see some houses kind of pop up in this valley down through there and all this kind of stuff. But uh, as you right get to the lake right there, you'll see an absolutely astoundingly beautiful home on your left kind of set in this little valley right there on beside the highway on a cove, private cove on the lake right there. And that is the Del Monte house, for, as in Del Monte ketchup. They have had that house there for as long as I can remember. It's been there for 50 or 60 years. In fact, we're going to get into something really quickly. The, the uh, earthquake that occurred in 1959 the Del Montes were instrumental in getting hel private helicopters and private planes into the area to help get people that were stranded in certain areas pulled out. Um, that's how long the Del Monte family has been up there in the Yellowstone areas. But you know the, that house has been there since 1959, and 
Uh, so we're going to kind of get into that earthquake, but that house is absolutely beautiful. It's the prettiest house I think I've ever seen in anywhere in the entire area. Jackson Hole, Big Sky, anywhere. That Del Monte house is gorgeous and has it going on right through there. And you'll kind of roll through a meadow right there, and then you'll quickly see, you like Heb, it'll be your perennial view on your left. You'll go by a couple of really nice, uh, like a, it's an RV place, but it also has little lakefront cabins, and I tell you guys about how to get those and what the name of it is in the guidebook, so you guys can actually rent a lakefront cabin right there. And then you'll kind of swing around the lake. The highway goes right along the water of the lake. I mean, just right next to it. And then you'll come to what is one of my favorite restaurants, the Happy Hour Bar. And again, that's covered in the guidebook, but that is a great place to go have dinner and a drink and sit out there and watch the sunset across the water. I'm a visitor to the Happy Hour Bar at least once a week. I promise you, I love going to the Happy Hour. It's one of my favorite places. And then you'll just keep going on down the road. You'll pass another place called Kirkwood, and I cover that in the the guidebook where you guys can stay in Kirkwood. Cover all that in the guidebook and provide the phone numbers in the guidebook. You guys can rent a boat and pull it up next to your cabin and keep it there and go out. You know, the fun doesn't stop when you guys leave the gates of Yellowstone Park. There's a lot of fun things to do outside the park. And I, I know a ton of people that go to stay on Lake Hebgen and never sniff going in Yellowstone Park. They'll stay on Lake Hebgen and boat and fish for two weeks, and they never even come close to going in Yellowstone Park. And there's some rope swings. We cover a killer rope swing on the Lake Hebgen. It's on the opposite shore and where it is, and there's a picture of Lisa flying out there about 30 feet in the air on this killer rope swing. And so it's really cool. And then you'll come to the dam, and then uh, it's, I'll tell you guys a fun, I'm going to throw some stories in here that, you know, I don't, this is what these guys, these podcasts are for, and enables me to tell you guys some interesting, funny stories. So you'll go to the dam, and the dam's a really to the start of a really good fishing spot and the water comes out of the bottom of the dam right there and the water's cold and everything else and it's a good fishing spot a lot of people go fishing right there god this is 2023 this is probably in 2010 20 something right there 15 ish and uh there's a. They were going to film a an instructional video on the proper techniques to to catch and release trout. And so, one of the owners of the I'm not going to throw him under the bus here, but one of the owners of one of the oldest guide shops in West Yellowstone was out there and he was you know showing everybody the, how to tie the, the lure on and how to bend down the barb so it doesn't damage the fish and and then. They've got microphones over his head and the whole nine yards and the water's, you know, rushing by and everything else. Well, the first fish that hits that lure is this gigantic, I mean, like a, usually you catch a fish, it's like a pound and a half, two pounds, you know, big one's about two and a half, three pound rainbow or something like that. He catches this 11 or 12 pound rainbow trout. I mean, it was an absolute monster. They call him a hog. Usually you can only catch catch that big of a trout in a lake and but he catches this monster this record rainbow trout right there at the dam and he picks that fish up and nets that fish and picks that fish up and goes boys you can turn those cameras off right now because i'm keeping this mf and you know he didn't say mf he said the whole kit and caboodle it was the largest fish he'd caught in his life and he had been up there his entire life and he goes this one's going home. He was going to mount that puppy. <laughs> He's there. He's there filming a catch and release video. 
and he keeps he pulls happens to pull out the largest trout he's ever caught in his life, and it happened to be a state record. So this baby's going with me. Turn those cameras off right now. And then of course they you know he kept that fish, but you know and all that. They've got it now where if you catch a big fish, this just you know started it two or three years ago. You catch a big fish and you take a picture of it. Uh, then you, you you can release any fish that size now. But this was 15 or 20 years ago. So, you know, that back then you couldn't do that. They didn't have that technology. So he kept it and got it mounted and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they'll take a picture of your fish now and then you just email it to a, a company and they recreate that fish out of plastics and everything else and it's completely fake, but it looks 100% real. That way you never have to keep a fish now. So, but that, that didn't exist back then. And even boys, you can turn them cameras off right now because this baby's going home with me. So it's pretty funny. I thought that story went through town like wildfire. Everybody's laughing about that pretty good. So, but as you continue on down the road, the area between the dam on Lake Hebgen and what is going to be in about two miles is another lake that starts up. And that is called Quake Lake. And we're going to get into that here in a second. And then uh, right there in between the lakes is this absolutely outstanding place to have breakfast. And it's called the Campfire Lodge. And William Devane from Knott's Landing fame is a part owner in this thing or something like that. And anyway, he's always there. He can go in there. He's usually sitting up at the bar. And he's a really nice guy. I've talked to him you know, dozens of times. He's a wonderful person. But they have the best breakfast. I think it's the best breakfast in the United States. They claim it's the best breakfast west of the Mississippi. It's the best breakfast I've ever had in my life. Every time when they bring out their, the food you, to you guys, everybody's laughing and taking pictures of it. I mean, the pancakes are as big as Frisbees. I mean, they've got a ham steak that hangs off both sides of the plate. I get that thing and eat on it for about three days. It, it's just outstanding food. And they got these cinnamon rolls. And I you know, tell you guys in the guidebook to pre-order a cinnamon roll. When you call to make a reservation, I always call to make a reservation because it's always crowded. These cinnamon rolls are as big as a Nerf football. I mean, they are it and they're killer, and they run out every day, so you've got to reserve a cinnamon roll. But all that stuff's in the guidebook. But that Campfire Lodge is really cool. If you get there, and they're busy, and you have to put your name down, and you didn't, you neglected to get a reservation, you can put your name down, and then you can back, go back up the road about 100 yards, and there's a little side dirt road. And it goes down there, and it's kind of rough. It's just like a little Jeep road, but you can do it in a car. It only goes down there about five blocks. But it goes down there around the corner through these trees down there, and it's used by fishermen. And you can see these cabins. They're called ghost cabins. It's really interesting. These cabins, when the slide, we're getting ready to talk about the, the largest natural disaster that's ever occurred in the United States, August 17th, 1959, killed 28 people. They're still there, still buried under the rubble. But these cabins floated back upstream from a couple of miles downstream. They Quake Lake formed after this earthquake happened. And, you know, we're going to get down through that area here in a second. But these cabins lifted off their their foundations they were in the water and they were made of wood and they floated and they floated back upstream two or three miles and then when the water receded a few weeks later boom there they sit they're called ghost cabins it's really interesting so if you get caught there and you don't have you need to kill a little time go downstream and that's where those ghost cabins are also right there on that dirt road is where where the supposed forest fin treasure was initially found i get into an entire 
entire little story about Forrest Finn and that crap treasure hunt and all that stuff in the podcast, Tower Junction up the Northeast Entry Road. So if you guys want to hear a funny story about one of those guys that was looking for that thing and lost everything and all this kind of yada yada, you can listen to that podcast to get more information about that crazy Forrest Finn deal. But uh, yeah, that thing caused a litany of problems for everybody in Yellowstone Park for a long time. But anyway, that's a cool little area right there at the Campfire Lodge. And if William Devane's in there, you can go there and say hi to him. He's a really, really nice, nice person. So as you continue on down the road a little bit, you'll see another lake pop up. And the river kind of goes away from the road right there. And you'll start seeing signs and things for the the quake that happened. The Forest Service ha has a driving tour that basically starts back up at the Del Monte cabin. And there's little signs here and there. They have a map of this whole thing, or you can get it on your phone, where you stop and all that stuff. And there's a multiple stops, or six or eight stops all down through here. And you'll see one on your left, and that's where the, that's the rescue area where the Del Monte family, you know, the helicopter, they helped to get people out of there because the roads were broken. You guys got to remember, there's pictures in, you'll see at these, at these stops, the road was broken in half, and there'll be a, a guy standing up there 15 or 18 or 20 feet in the air and the other road's down here. Yeah, the road, you couldn't drive anywhere. So you had to get somewhere by helicopter. And so it was unreal. It's the largest natural disaster to ever hit the United States. And so you go on down there and you'll start seeing Quake Lake up here on your left with all of these dead trees out in the water and all this crazy stuff and everything. And a uh, great place to see bald eagles and a great place to see mountain goats, you know, hanging out on the on the hills right there on the side of the lake right there. Right by the road, you'll see a bunch of mountain goats and things. You know, it's really, really a pretty, pretty area. And then as you continue on about another mile, you'll see where the slide occurred. This mountain gave way on your left and slid across the Madison River and right through a campground. There just happened to be a campground at the bottom of that slide. When you see, when I tell you that there's 28 people still buried in there and you're driving right on top of them, you're going to go, how is that possible? And when you get there, you're going to go, oh my God. Yeah, you're, you're surprised there's not more than 28 people buried in that rock today because there's just no way to get to them. It's, it's hundreds of feet deep and, and blocks long. I mean, it's the amount of rock that came off and slid down through there is incredible. They've got a visitor center in there that's really worth a visit to go in there and check out that stuff and see all the, all the pictures and everything else. And, and there, there's two enormous rocks back on the, other, on the opposite side from the slide slide up on this hill that came from the top of the mountain back that fe the ma the mountain that fell is what it's called and on these two house-sized rocks are all the names of the 28 people that are you're standing on that you've been driving on and you're standing on right there it's it's an amazing area it's really really a sad sight my parents and my grandparents actually went over there for 3 days and helped to rescue people and you know trying to help people get dug out of the rubble and finding people and and my parents and grandparents helped in the rescue effort for 3 days after all that happened and they were over in at Henry's Lake in Idaho which is only about kind of 10 12 miles as the crow flies 
they were asleep in a trailer at that point in time back then and just got thrown all over the trailer. They they knew it was an earthquake, but the, everything just got jostled around and, you know, huge waves in the lakes. And and uh, it, it was a big deal. It was a really, really big deal back then. And so, but anyways, you continue on down the hill past the visitor center. You can see all of this rock that has gotten slid out by the, the Madison River, hence the ghost cabins we just talked about. This debris and rock created what is the world's youngest alluvial fan. And they had engineers and stuff out there studying this alluvial fan that was been being created by this debris that was getting carried downstream to see how it's shaped and see how it got formed and where it went. Because there's just not many alluvial fans that you can find that are so new and so young. And they had people studying it for decades. And it's just the, how the river would change course and more debris would get stacked over here. Brand new alluvial fan got created by this rock slide that came across and people would study it. And then there's a little place down there that called the Slide Inn, you know, this cute little name of this place down there. And that's where we used to get our fishing license. And I had a buddy of mine that worked there, and he's now one of the, the sheriffs or the police department in West Yellowstone. And, and I go say hi to him every now and then. We were just kids back in the day back then. And we'd go in there and get our fishing licenses when I was about 9 or 10, and he was about 12 or 14. But, uh, yeah, his family owned the Slide Inn. And then uh, on down from there, I mean, you guys can keep going down 287 and, uh, this takes you to Virginia City, which in about an hour's drive in Virginia City is one of the uh, the best ghost towns in the United States. It's one of the most famous ghost. If you look up Google ghost towns in the United States, Virginia City is going to be at the top of the list. It's really well done and really well kept up, and that you know they've you know go inside. There's an old player piano and all the old stool bar stools and everything that's been there since the turn of the century they've just it's like a time warp like you walk back into the late 1800s in in this virginia city and people go there just to go see virginia city but you can be in virginia city in less than an hour from uh it's about an hour and a half from west yellowstone and then if you want to keep going a little bit further you can go to lewis and clark caverns and all that stuff and all of that is on 287 and that kind of covers everything about 287 but that that driving tour if you guys have seen everything you want to see in Yellowstone Park, that driving tour that starts at the Del Monte House and ends at the Quake Lake Visitor Center with all the pull-offs and everything is really, it's a beautiful drive. It's very informative. A lot of bicyclers, road bikers do that do that area right there. They'll come out of West Yellowstone and bicycle over to the, to the Visitor Center and then and the Quake Lake and then come back. It's a beautiful, beautiful bike ride. And uh, that, that covers 287 for you guys. So, uh, you know, it's not in Yellowstone Park, but you're right outside of Yellowstone Park, and it's very interesting with the earthquake tour and all of that stuff. And you can get a killer breakfast. We eat at the Campfire Lodge once a week for breakfast. It's it's absolutely outstanding. It's the best it's the best breakfast in the United States, as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, all right, let's get rolling with the Flag Ranch Road which is in Yellowstone Park angry to Grand Teton. It kind of get, circumnavigates both of them and is basically the southern boundary of Yellowstone Park and the northern boundary of Grand Teton. And hardly anybody that visits Yellowstone Park knows that this road even exists. All right, this road used to go by about three different names. It was originally called the Marysville Road, 
because the Mormons built this road as they used this area to cut through Yellowstone Park. They came around the south side of Yellowstone Lake, kind of went through the thoroughfare area. That's why it's called the thoroughfare areas because the Mormons used that pathway before Yellowstone Park was named a national park to come through there. And this road, the, the Marysville Road, is now called the Grassy Lake Road or the Flag Ranch Road. It goes by both of those names. You'll see that on a map. You won't see anything that calls it the Marysville Road. But I, when I grew up as a kid, we always called it the Marysville Road. And it starts basically just south of the south entry into Yellowstone Park in Grand Teton, and actually it starts in John D. Rockefeller Memorial National Park right with that, you know, they kept it one spot, but it's Grand Teton, and swings right along the southern boundary of Yellowstone Park, the northern boundary of Grand Teton, and goes over to Ashton and stops. So you can access it from either side. If you're coming down from West Yellowstone and you're trying to get to Jackson Hole and you get in Ashton, to get to Jackson Hole from Ashton takes about give or take 45 minutes to an hour. If you want to take this road to get to Jackson Hole and, and, and get in front of the Tetons the whole way, it takes about right out an hour, just a hair longer to go this direction. This drive in the fall when the Aspens are turning is, is without hands down the best drive in the entire Yellowstone ecosystem area to see Beautiful aspens. We we drive it a couple times a year. Starting whenever the aspens turn, late September, early October, we make it a point to drive this road. If we're going down to the Tetons to do some hiking, we'll go this way to get to the Tetons and then get down towards Jackson Hole if we ever want to venture all the way to Jackson Hole, which is a rarity anymore. So it starts at Ashton, Idaho, and Ashton, Idaho, is about. 10 miles as the crow flies from the southwest corner of Yellowstone Park. And for, so from Ashton, there's a couple things you guys can do down there that you probably, you know, you need to know about. So I'm going to cover these. It's like you're leaving Ashton from the, the north and then in the middle and then the south, which was going to be the, the Marysville Road. There's about three roads you access as you leave Ashton heading east. And the first goes to Mesa Falls. And May, there's a picture of Mesa Falls in the guidebook. And Mesa Falls used to be one of the stops when... People came to Yellowstone Park via train a lot back in the, you know, from the 1900s till basically the advent of the car. Mesa Falls was a huge stop. That's where basically everyone stopped on a train and they would get off there, stay at Mesa Falls for the night, and then continue their journey on up. And Mesa Falls is gorgeous. You guys see the, the picture of the guidebook. It's beautiful. Mesa Falls is well worth a stop on its own right. And upper Mesa Falls and Lower Mesa Falls. Lower Mesa Falls is very difficult to get to, but the Upper Mesa Falls, you're standing right there next to it. It's got excellent walkways to get down to Mesa Falls. Mesa Falls is beautiful, you guys. It's top notch. And it's kind of a loop road. It comes off of, it leaves Ashton and swings up, goes right along the uh, southwestern edge of Yellowstone Park right there. But if you guys are coming back from Jackson Hole to the Tetons and heading back to West Yellowstone and, and you got a little extra time, I highly recommend you swing over there and check out Mesa Falls. It's, it's really, really a beautiful stop in its own right. And then the next road down, you know, it's the same road that just kind of tees off of each other, kind of veers off of each other, is the Cave Falls Road. And the Cave Falls Road gets you to Cave Falls. You can drive your car right to it, and that is actually in Yellowstone Park. 
And, you know, there's no gates, no people to pay money to or anything else. You just you go in and check out Cave Falls and the road dead ends right there. There's a little parking lot and then you can walk and take off and do a little day hiking right through there. It's beautiful. But there's a bunch of huckleberries that grow along the trail there in uh, late July and August. And uh, you can sit there and walk along that trail above Cave Falls down through there. And just, there's huckleberries growing everywhere. You can just sit there and eat huckleberries walking on the trail as you're just toddling along up the trail right there. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous area. And that is how you get to the Beckler Ranger Station. And so if you pull up to the Beckler Ranger Station, then you there it, you know occasionally about half the time if somebody doesn't have something to do, they'll come out and go, hey, do you have a park pass and all that? And they'll, you know, we'll show them our annual pass. But, uh, you know, if you guys have been in Yellowstone Park, you've got that receipt. So you can just show them that receipt and there it's say, good. But that Beckler Ranger Station accesses the most beautiful area of Yellowstone Park, there's just no roads to anything. You have to walk it. But I've said this a million times. If there was a road back to Union Falls, and uh, which is the cover shot of the guidebook, and Scout Creek, where you can go swimming in the 100-degree water of Scout Creek and jump off this little cliff into the waters, and there's a picture of me doing that, and then or up to Dunanda and Silver Scarf. If there was a road, because Dunanda... Is is unbelievable. I mean, wait till you guys see the pictures in the guidebook and the videos we shot when you get access to that private, uh, you know, YouTube page of that QR code in the back of the guidebook. If there was a, a road to these spots, there's five million people visit Yellowstone Park. I, I bet two or three, probably half, two, two to two and a half million people would be back in this Beckler area to go see Union Falls and to go see Dunanda Falls and swim at a hot pot beneath Dunanda Falls and see Silver Star Falls and get closer access to get up into the Beckler Canyon. And this is the be most beautiful spot in Yellowstone Park. I mean, the lower falls and all that's just hands down the baddest thing in the, on the planet with the golden colors and all of that kind of stuff. But as far as just getting out into nature and all this, that Beckler Canyon is, is like you walked into Olympic National forest up on the you know the Washington Peninsula. It's a gorgeous area and these falls are huge. And there's there 80% of the park's waterfalls are in the Beckler area, but you access it from that Beckler Ranger Station and you have to hike to it. You know, I, I foresee one day uh, to kind of alleviate the pressure of, of all the people visiting the rest of the park that they do one day put in roads in the Beckler area. It's problematic because it's flat. The Beckler meadow is flat and super wet. You can't you can't even get into it until the first week of August, very end of July, first week in August, because you're you'll be slogging through mud knee deep. And trust me, I've been there. I've done it. The roads would be difficult to build, but I'm sure they would figure a way to do it. And I foresee one day to alleviate all the pressure and to get a couple million people to visit this area of Yellowstone Park is going to happen. You know, that's going to be a sad day for me, but for those of you that can't walk nine miles to Denanda Falls, you need to see that. Denanda Falls is absolutely unreal. Union Falls is the cover shot for the guidebook. It's the, it's the tallest double falls on planet Earth. I mean, two two streams meet simultaneously in midair and crash down right behind me in that picture. It's it's an unbelievable spot. One day, I, th I think there'll be a road back there so pe other people can go see this that can't physically walk nine miles to get to some of this place. You know, Union Falls, you can day hike to. But, uh, and I cover all that in the hiking section of the guidebook. I'm not going to get into all that here, but it's a unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime area to go visit. 
Yeah, one day I foresee the, them putting in roads in the Beckler area and getting up to Dananda and Union Falls and into the Beckler Meadow and Colonnade and Iris to alleviate pressure on the rest of the National Park. I've mentioned the word Beckler to 99.9% of everybody that goes to Yellowstone Park. They're going to, you know, what's that? You know, where's that? Well, I've never heard of that. What's what's going on with Beckler? What, how do you spell Beckler? It's the tits, man. It, it's the caca, I'm telling you. So that's the second road, you know, Mesa Falls, and then come down one notch, and then, you know, it's the kind of veers off the same road, and you're going, going to the Beckler area, the Beckler Ranger Station, Cave Falls, and the Beckler Ranger Station are within about a, a minute, two-minute drive of each other. They're right there. Off that same road, as you leave Ashton, the next road or third road down is the Grassy Lake Reservoir Road or the Flag Ranch Road, whichever one you want to call it. Marysville name, you're just not going to find that anymore. But when I was a kid, that's what we called it. And along that road, by the way, you're going to see Mennonites, the, these people. We used to have a picture in the guidebook. I think we took it out. I mean, you'll see people on this road that live in this area completely off the grid and they have lived with a horse-drawn carriage, two big Percheron horses pulling this carriage, and boy, they got those big crazy beards and those weird hats and all that stuff, and they live off in this area, and they farm the land and all this. They don't have any electricity or anything else. You'll see them down the road. They won't look at you. God, you can stop and wave, and they look at you like you're out of your mind, man. They're, they've got their kids huddled up so you don't, you know, scare their kids and all this stuff. They, they live back there completely off the grid. These Mennonites are still there. But you'll see them up and down the road occasionally. And they're herding sheep and all kinds of crazy crap up and down through there. But that drive from Ashton to basically the south entrance of Yellowstone Park, it kind of drops you in at Flag Ranch about a mile south of the south entrance right there, is... Unbelievable. It is a gorgeous drive. You go past these huge lily pad covered lakes. This Indian, it's called Indian Lake. And I mean, this Indian Lakes is it's a mile, mile and a half long and about a mile wide north to south. And the entire thing is covered with flowering lily pads. It's unbelievable how pretty it is. And you just kind of keep weaving your way up there and you'll get to the Loon Lake turnoff and that's how you access Union Falls. I cover all that in the guidebook for you guys. And th this road, you won't find anybody pulling a big trailer or a motorhome on it because it gets too narrow and too rough. You know, just suburban or even, you know, you can drive this thing in a Chevy Nova. You know, it's not any big deal. And like I mentioned, if you guys are trying to get to the Tetons, and you're not in any hurry to get down there to do anything, and you don't want to get fight the traffic in Yellowstone Park, like you're coming from West Yellowstone or wherever, and you want to come down to the Tetons, and if you don't want to fight the traffic and crowds going over Teton Pass, just come down Highway 20, hit Ashton, turn left, go through Ashton, and, and hit the Grassy Lake Flag Ranch Road and drive that way. See three cars on the thing the whole time. It's just gorgeous. You get up there and there's beautiful views of the north end of the Teton Range, and you swing right around them, and you go past the Grassy Lake Reservoir. And this is how you access, you know, not only the Beckler area. Uh, this is the trailhead for Terraced Falls. I, of course, cover the Terrace Falls hike and the hiking chapter in the guidebook for you guys. All that stuff, and you kind of weave your way over there, and all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there on the, you hit the main park road, which is 191, 287 that we talked about earlier. It goes all the way to, you know, up 
through West Yellowstone all the way from Jackson. You hit that highway, you turn right, and in about five minutes, you're sitting there at Jackson Lake Lodge, staring at all the Grand Tetons and Mountain Moran and all that. And great hiking off of it. The Beckler area is unmatched. And, and so here, here comes your next interesting story about this area, and this is a good one. All right. <laughs> For those of you that have ever thought about committing murder and but didn't want to spend the rest of your life in jail or possibly spend the rest of your life in jail, there is an area in Yellowstone Park that is what, what an area we just talked about. It's just west of the Beckler Ranger Station on the border of Yellowstone Park. you got to remember Yellowstone Park sits in three states, mostly Wyoming, and then Montana on the upper west side and a little bit on the north and then but this bottom left edge there's a sliver that's in idaho uh interesting story and i tell this in a different podcast that the you know anybody that saw the old show who wants to be a millionaire the final question of the, this guy wins a million dollars was which three states does yellowstone park sit in and it's idaho wyoming and montana and he called his mom and said, thanks, mom, for taking me to Yellowstone Park all those years ago and telling me all about it because I just won a million dollars. Thank you. But anyway, so here's the deal. It's called the Zone of Death, and it's right there just west of on the road going up to the, the Beckler Ranger Station and in between the one that goes over there to Mesa Falls. And there's this narrow sliver of an area that sits in Idaho. Here's why this is called the zone of death and why you can get away with murder in that area. One, number one, Yellowstone Park, all the jurisdiction in Yellowstone Park was transferred to Wyoming because Yellowstone Park was the world's first national park before Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming even existed. So they would ship everybody down to Cheyenne, Wyoming that committed a crime. However, there is a loophole in the Constitution that says your trial must be held in the state that the crime was committed. That is a fact. That is an absolute fact. And that's all spelled out in the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. So they have to ship you from Cheyenne, Wyoming back to Idaho. However, you have to be able to seat a jury in the area that the crime was committed in this sliver and you're still in Yellowstone Park so they can't encompass anything out of Yellowstone Park and guess what there's no people that live there I told you guys this is a good story it's called the vicinage clause I hope I say that right the vicinage clause and because nobody lives there they cannot see the jury and you are entitled to a jury trial of your peers and so in this one little area it's called the zone of death, and you can commit murder or whatever other crime you want to try to get away with and in this area. And theoretically, according to the laws of our great country and the laws of Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, you cannot be prosecuted in that area. If you go north up the sliver and into Montana, there are 38 people that live in that area over there by West Yellowstone. I think the area they're talking about that would encompass this spot would be where the ranger stations are right when you drive through the West Gate right there in West Yellowstone. I mean, I know some of these people. So, 
But down there in Idaho, southwest corner of Yellowstone Park where Idaho starts and goes down to the corner of the park, nobody lives there. So, yeah, that is the... The zone of death. You guys look it up. You, you can. There's a fabulous video on YouTube that explains all this. And <laughs> this guy wrote this paper. Let me see if I can find his name again. Brian C. Colt. He's this law professor from uh, Michigan State University, and uh, he has actually taken this knowledge and proposed it to his senators and all this kind of stuff. And everybody just goes, you know, in one ear and out the other. And he goes, hey, man, somebody can go commit murder here and you can't prosecute them. Right now, according to the laws of our country or whatever crime you want to commit in that area, you cannot be prosecuted for it because of those reasons. You guys ought to watch that. You know, just look it all up. It's, it's the zone of death, Yellowstone Park, and all that yada yada. It's a fascinating deal. It's really interesting. My uh, attorney buddy that, that I know that lives in Jackson Hole told me about it a number of years ago. And, and I said, no kidding. He gave me the whole paper. I read the whole thing. It's fascinating. It's really cool. But yeah, you can go commit murder in Yellowstone Park and get away with it. <laughs> so, that's another interesting tidbit along the grassy lake road. You guys got to you know, think about right there. You're having a little trouble with the missus. Hey, honey, let's go hiking. All right, so that's about it. We, we're we're going to kind of wind this podcast down a little bit. And I, I've never done anything on these roads. The road that we first covered, 191, goes back into Yellowstone Park. And I just never did cover it in a previous podcast. But it's it's a wonderful area. These these areas are gorgeous drives. And, and, the, and then the road 287 gets you to the uh, largest natural disaster to ever occur in the United States. And, you know, you're driving on top of 28 bodies. And, you know, all this stuff's secondhand to me, but it's not to you guys. And so I thought I would tell you guys about it. And there's a lot of this information in the guidebook. But yeah, the largest natural disaster to ever hit the United States. And they've got a very, very well done driving tour of that. And uh, it's, you know, if you've got an extra day or it's a rainy day in the park and, and you don't want to go sit and, and watch Old Faithful in the rain or something like that, then you can do this driving tour and you can pull over and roll your window down and read these these signs. You're right off the side of the highway. You can read everything about it and then go have a killer breakfast at Campfire Lodge and meet William Devane. Go take a picture with a guy. And then, uh, you know, we swing over there to that Beckler area, and if you guys are hikers, this is where you want to go. If you're there, it's starting in August, September, and October. Beckler comes into its own at the end of August and into September and October. It, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful hiking area, but I'm telling you, one day they're going to put roads into the Beckler area, which and it will alleviate pressure of people in the main part of the park because to get to that area you're going to have to swing around outside the park or outside Grand Teton from the west hit Ashton and come in there and get to the Beckler area and get up there to Union Falls and Dunanda Falls and Silver Scarf and see all that stuff. It, it, it'll open up more areas of the park to more people that you know aren't physically fit enough to, or don't want to have to walk or spend the night and camp out and all that stuff and eat up an extra day of their trip. And it will alleviate 
pressure on the rest of the park. And, and that's probably not that far off because they're fighting that battle every day. I think a monorail system would be the thing to go. I'm an architect and all that stuff, and I've studied the monorail systems when I was in college. I think a monorail system in the park would be the way to go and allow the animals to migrate freely underneath the monorail system, and you could enjoy them from a view from above and, and then stop wherever you want. The deal is you're never stuck in traffic, and, and uh, I think a fast monorail system would be great. And it's worked down in Disney World down there in Orlando for decades now and got hundreds of millions of people around. I'm really talking about getting around about four or five million people. Yeah, I think a, a nice, fast, above-ground monorail system would be great. So if anybody from the National Park Service listening to this go, hey, I'll go to your boss. I've got this great idea. <laughs> but anyway... But until that happens, all of these roads are really, really cool deals. Plus, when you're in Ashton, just, you know, the last little thing I'm going to throw in here on this podcast is you're about 15 minutes from the Idaho Dune. And anybody that hadn't bought a guidebook or listened to my other podcast, or what are the Idaho Dunes? And the Idaho Dunes are just another thing I've got in the guidebook that a lot of people don't even know about. A lot of the locals in West Yellowstone and my friends in Jackson Hole were, hey, we're going to go hit the Idaho Dunes Thursday. Do you guys want to go? And, you know, they lived in Jackson Hole their whole life. What are the Idaho Dunes? The Idaho Dunes is the second largest dune complex on Earth, and you can go rent these razors, these four wheels, and go up and down four and five hundred foot tall sand dunes. It is an absolute ball, and you're sitting there on the top of the dunes, looking at Yellowstone Park and looking at the Grand Tetons. It's that close. It's right there. I mean, it's just outside the park boundaries. And uh, the Idaho Dunes, just another fun thing in the guidebook. You know, you're sitting there at Ashton getting ready to do the Grassy Lake Road. Right behind you is the Idaho Dunes, about 15 minutes. You can get over there, and we put all the information where to rent the machines. And all that information is, of course, written down for you guys in the guidebook. All right, that's it. You guys have made it to the end of another podcast. And uh, who'd have thought that you learned a place in the United States you can go kill somebody and get away with it? Theoretically, I guess. So I <laughs> hope so nobody listens to this podcast and goes, honey, let's make a trip to Yellowstone Park this summer. <laughs> let's leave the kids with your your mom and dad for a while alright we'll be back so anyway alright you guys have a great time in Yellowstone Park and uh, remember you can pick up the guidebook on our website exploreyellowstonelikealocal.com you know 12 bucks for an electronic copy or only 25 bucks for paperback and uh, just go to our website you can see all the reviews there's tons of reviews on there full length reviews I don't screw around put you know a piece of a review I'll put the full length review in there that you guys sent us and some pictures you guys sent us so alright everybody have a great time talk to you guys later have fun. See you, bye.